We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. I am here. Tommy is here on this Tuesday. Uh, if you missed Cooley on the show yesterday, go listen to that. He was excellent um, talking about the team and the offense in particular. Uh, if you haven't rated us or reviewed us wherever you can do that, especially on Apple and Spotify, do that for us if you don't mind. It really helps us. Uh, Bill uh, reviewed us on Apple, um, gave us five stars, which was very nice, and he wrote the following on a title of his review, which was Soccer is a Good Sport. And Bill wrote, quote, Love the show. The thing I find painful about you guys talking about soccer is that I can turn on any sport with a ball and find it super interesting. That's why I'm so surprised that my favorite duo of DP, of DC podcasters aren't into it. I thought you guys loved all sports like me. I thought Tom's point about the indoor league really showed he didn't get it. I can't imagine watching soccer where the score is 9 to 8 every time. What makes it so interesting is how hard it is to score. The 2010 and the 2014 FIFA finals are perfect examples of this. Of course, they are. Gripping TV that took 115 <laughs> minutes until we got a goal. Again, love the show, but felt compelled to share my feelings. Closed quote. Bill, thank you so much for the review. Of course, we are going to pick it apart right now, but it was very kind of you to write the review and share with us your feelings. Um, I well, Bill's right. I, I don't get it. He's right. I don't get it. Yes, you don't. I mean, that's what he said. He said, he said you know, Tom really doesn't get it. He's right. I really don't get it. Don't you think that the 2010 and the 2014 FIFA finals, though, are a good example of what Bill's talking about? Well, uh, you know what? I have them on my DVR. Mm-hmm. Your DVR. And I haven't watched it in, in like a week. You know, so I'd have to go back because I forget because there was so much, so much action in those in those games mm-hmm. that it's hard to remember the key moment. Are the 2010 and 2014 FIFA finals the World Cup finals? Because that would kind of sync up with the correct years, right? I would think so. I would um, think so. The uh, 
Uh, first of all, I don't love all sports, um, and I don't find any sport that I turn on that has a ball, um, you know, involved uh, that thrilling. I, I, I am watching a lot of pickleball on TV these days. I think we're going to have to come in here one day and do a pickleball segment. I've actually been searching out guests to talk pickleball with because I think the number one doubles team in the world is from here. I think they're from Gaithersburg, and I'd actually like to get them oh, on the wow. show. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway. Now, I, I play pickleball, and I will play pickleball if my wife, Needs me to play. Tell, tells you to play. Situation. <laughs> well, needs me to play. Uh-huh. But I mean, I I've played maybe ten times, maybe right. not even that in my life. And my wife is an avid pickleball player. Yeah, pickleball's great. I, I told you that this summer um, I was playing a lot, and then I injured myself. Um, I ha- I just I just have back issues. By the way, that reminds me. By the way, Bill, thank you for the for the note. And yes, thank I, you, Bill. Uh, yeah, thank and, you, Bill, for for putting up with our ignorance. Yeah, um, about the the great game of the world. I don't I don't get it either. But I think I have tried harder than you to get it, and I still just don't get it. And I think we every four years we do this thing where we try to convince ourselves that we actually are into soccer. Um, I just reminded myself of something with the pickleball conversation. You know, I've had I've had back issues over the last fifteen years of my life. A lot of wear and tear, and I've had yes. multiple um, L five S one discectomy operations. And yesterday, I was in Bethesda, and I was in line at a bagel place, Bethesda Bagels, which I think is the best bagel in town by far. I think Bethesda Bagels are the only bagels that really are close to. New York bagels or even Philadelphia bagels. But anyway, in line right there with me was Jake Lehman, who played at Maryland, um, was a really, right. really good player on some of Turgeon's really good teams, the team that was ranked number two preseason in the country with, with Mello and with Diamond Stone and Rashid Suleiman and that team that got to the Sweet 16 and a couple of other really good teams. And, you know, I don't know Jake. I mean, I, I called some of his games. Remember that two-year period when I called like 10 or 11 Maryland games because Johnny was out yes. during that stretch? So I called some of those games, but I never met Jake. But I've heard that he's just a nice kid. So I said hello, and I introduced myself to him. And I said, why are you here? Aren't you playing? Because I thought he was in Minnesota. Um, and he said, no, I... I just had back surgery, and I had signed a deal with a team in Spain, but I had back surgery, so I'm home here, living here, rehabbing. And his surgery was exactly the same surgery as mine. So we ended up talking, and his wife, who was lovely, was with him as well. And, you know, she, she, I told her, I said, I've had a couple of them. And she said, well, why did you have the other ones? And I said, well, because I felt so great when I woke up, which is true. Anybody that will tell you, that they've been dealing with nerve pain and then like especially lower back nerve pain and then they go through this discectomy. It's like you wake up and it's like, oh my God, the pain is gone. I'm like back to normal again. And I, of course, was not coachable in the rehab and I went out and re-herniated it like within the first six months after the, the operation. But that, but that was it and I've been good ever since until pickleball this summer. And I, ca- I I injured my back again, and I'm like, God 
damn it, the last thing I want to do is have to have another one of these procedures because the next one, my, my orthopedic surgeon, um, uh, who's a great guy, um, said to me, said, your next one will probably have to be, you'll, we'll have to fuse it. And that's a, that's a far more complex operation. Now that's what Tiger went through. You know, he had his L5S1 fused. Um, after multiple, you know, kind of the surgeries that I've had, which are called discectomies, laminectomies. But anyway, um, well, you and you and Tiger had this lengthy oh, conversation did. Did. about we, that surgery. T- right? uh, most people have heard about this conversation. But yeah, Cooley and I were doing a show. Tiger was a guest at Congressional, and Tiger and I ended up having. Cooley says it was an hour long conversation. It wasn't an hour, but it was twenty minutes. Just about, you know, um, the respective back situations. And uh, he was super interested in the fact that I had had multiple uh, of the same surgeries that he had had. He had not had the fusion yet at that point. But we ended up having a really nice conversation. Not to mention the fact that, you know, he knows Scott really well. You know, they, they've known each other for years. And, you know, he, right. he knew that I was, you know... Uh, you know Scott's best friend, and and by the way, speaking of that, I went to the Maryland game with him. I'm really bouncing around today. I'm a little bit wired because I'm on some medication because I've got a pretty bad cold. Um, and you know who I met Friday night? So I met Jake Lehman yesterday. Okay. Nice kid, nice, a really nice kid. I met Francis Tiafo on Friday night at the cool. Maryland Illinois game. I had those seats with Scott. They're Scott's seats. They're not mine. They wouldn't give me those seats. Um, but I was sitting with him and Mike Loxley, who is just the nicest guy in the world. I've told everybody that. He, I, I, I hope that he keeps having success in building on what he's started here at Maryland. But Tiafo was his guest uh, and, and was sitting with him right next to him. What a nice guy. Really nice guy. And by the way, really becoming a major star you know, in the world in tennis, having gotten to the you know U.S. Open semifinals, first guy to reach the semis in forever in the U.S. Soccer and tennis, we're we're playing all the hits this morning. <laughs> uh, I'm also feeling like I'm very ADHD right now. Like I'm bouncing all over the place. I feel a little bit wired right now. I do. I ha- I have a cold. You have a cold too. <clears throat> and I, yes, t- I and I took that Benadryl cold uh, medication. <laughs> A little while ago. You see, I don't, I don't take cold medication. Uh-huh. But one time when I was really sick, right, and I kept taking it, it ultimately speeded up my heart. Oh, from taking it. Okay. I mean, I took too much of it. Well, don't so scare now me. I don't, don't take any me. cold medication. Well, usually oh, just did. Benadryl allergy medication makes me sleepy, but whatever I took about forty-five minutes ago is making me very jumpy right now. It's it's making me think about lots of different things and I'm trying to get organized here and focused and dialed in. It's exciting. It's like riding the bumper (laughs) car ride at the boardwalk. Uh, Yeah. Summing it up, great uh, review from Bill. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to like soccer. I've tried. I've given it so much. I like the pageantry of it. I watched the game on Saturday. 
I don't know. I mean, the U.S. and the Netherlands didn't look any different to me out there other than the Netherlands made the shots they tried and the U.S. didn't. There's some great analysis. Somebody told me that Brazil yesterday scored four goals in like the first 15 minutes of the game, and it was like the most exciting soccer of the tournament, and that they could tell that Brazil's so much better than everybody else. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I like the pageantry of it. I'll probably watch a little bit here and there, but it's n- I'm never going to be hooked on it. Um, uh, my back feels much better. I'm going to get uh, started playing pickleball again. Jake Lehman's a really good guy. And Francis Tiafo uh, was lovely, pleasant. Um, and it was nice to uh, meet him the you other know, night. You know, at that Maryland game, somebody took a video of you and Scott walking into the arena to get walking into the floor together. Right. And uh, I, I snapped a picture from that video mm-hmm. and posted it on my social media. <laughs> Why? Because Why? you were wearing your DC Grace hat. I was. That's right. I was. Uh, several people pointed that out to me on Twitter that I was ripping yes. the DC Grays. I told you that's I like. What I posted. I on like their. Media that I like you were their gear. In the DC Grays colors. Yeah. I like their gear. So we appreciate that. No. Um. Thanks. Uh. You know, does your boy want any swag? You think? Who Scott? Yeah. He takes some swag. Definitely. I think we can get him some. Okay. I think we can arrange that. Um, before we get to the game on Sunday and your thoughts on it, uh, I just wanted to say the Monday night game, which I did not watch until very early this morning on the condensed version. Um, I mean, it's what's really amazing to me is this is the second time this year I've heard this, and that is <clears throat> that when Joe Flacco played in week three or whatever for the Jets and they were down – 13, and he brought him back with two touchdowns in the final three minutes of the game. It was like the first time that it happened, you know, a rally from two touchdowns down for a win. It had been like 20 years or something like that. So last night was the second time that's happened. Seems to me like down two scores or, or two touchdowns, needing two touchdowns, it, we would have seen that more often. I know, I know a field goal and a touchdown happens a lot. Um, I just thought it would have happened last night. But in watching the game last night, I'm, Brady was, you know, superb on the final two drives. But I had I had two takeaways from this. Number one is, I think the NFC should be glad that New Orleans lost the game last night. Because New Orleans defensively, just like the 49ers and the Cowboys and, you know, Washington to a certain degree, yes, Um they are really good on defense, and they're without Marshawn Lattimore, and I'm watching them, and they they played the 49ers last week and only gave up 13 points against the 49ers um, and really threatened to, to make that a game in the fourth quarter with Andy Dalton, and they were up 16-3, to and I'm telling you, Tommy, the Bucks couldn't do anything. Like, they are a really good defensive team and a well-coached with Dennis Allen, who's their head coach, defensive team. I actually think with the players they have on defense, I mean, with May and Davis and Teron Matthew and Cam Jordan, and um, I don't even know if they're supposed to get Marshawn Lattimore back or not, but that's one team that actually could have been a problem for people in the postseason if they had won the NFC South and if they had won the game last night, if they had held on, they would have had a chance to win the division. They would have been five and eight, but the Buccaneers would have been five and seven. And so 
Bigfoot. All, all I read on social media last night was people destroying Dennis Allen for the way he handled the end of the game. So, uh, I mean, that's another takeaway. Um, it wasn't really – no, I didn't have an issue necessarily with, with Dennis Allen handling the game. There was a play in which uh, Mark Ingram ran out of bounds one yard short of the uh, of the first down marker because he was hurt with just over right. five minutes to go, and then they threw the ball on third down. If that's the criticism, I, I you know I, I I guess I understand that criticism, but my God, I mean, what is Mark Ingram doing? Just go get the first down. I mean, and you don't have to worry about staying in bounds or anything like that. It was more than five minutes to go. The clock doesn't stop on out of bounds plays until. Um, until under five, and he didn't get the first down, and it was a major play in the game. But the big takeaway from two takeaways, number one, the Saints I actually think are a decent team and a really good defensive team. And, you know, they they lost to the 49ers last week, but if they had won that game, they would have been very much in the thick of it because I think they have the Falcons, the Browns, the Panthers. They would have had a chance to win the NFC South. And then takeaway number two is I just don't think you need to fear Tampa Bay. And I I, I know Tom Brady would be the quarterback in the postseason right now. You know, and, and and now it's it looks really good that Tampa, even though their schedule is pretty hard the rest of the way, they play the 49ers and the Bengals the next two weeks. So, but they're going to win the division more likely than not, Tommy, with a losing record. Like, I think they're going to win the division with like an 8-9 and nine record. Um, but they'll host a game just like Washington did in 2020. I don't think you need to fear them. I mean, Brady isn't the problem, really. They just don't seem to be clicking on all cylinders. And New Orleans actually moved the football against them. There were some drop balls. There were, but I thought Andy Dalton played pretty well. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I came away from that game thinking, if you're an NFC team and you're like you're Dallas, it'd be better to go to Tampa and play a game than go to New Orleans and play a game in the first round as the five versus the four. Most people are probably, you're insane. That's Tom Brady. I know, and maybe they'll get it going here down the stretch and I'll feel differently in a couple of weeks. But they're not a good team. Oh, my God. Did you, the, the other thing, uh, maybe you heard the complaining about this. So um, down 16-3 to three, um, with about, I don't know, seven minutes to go. They had a fourth and ten, and they punted, and Brady laid into Todd Bowles, laid into him. He's like, we have to go for it. I mean, we, it's fourth and ten from our own 25, but we, we need to score twice. And Bowles punted. Now, Bowles was proven right because if they hadn't gotten the fourth and ten, and by the way, they probably wouldn't have gotten the fourth and ten, then the the Saints score touchdown, but maybe they only kick a field goal. Maybe that was Brady's point. They'd be down 16 if they kicked a field goal, if they missed it, if they could have just held him to a field goal. But... Um, they ended up winning the game anyway. They got they got stops and they Brady was I mean lights out in the final two drives, and he overcame what was crazy at the end. Um, he overcame a holding penalty that created you know a first and goal from the twenty. Um, they they just you know he does this, but I would not fear the Buccaneers at all. I mean it'd be great if Washington could get to the five seed, but I don't think they can catch Dallas. And Dallas or Philadelphia yeah. will end up being the five seed, and they'll have to go to Tampa in the first round. And I, I don't think they're, you know, 
again, they could turn it around. They got they got good players, but I don't see them turning it around. Um, what did you think of the game Sunday? Well, I mean, I said this a while ago, and it seems like some kind of like generic bullshit. But I said this a while ago about the Giants. You got to beat the Giants. They are a tough team, you know, and they're not going to fold being down ten nothing. I mean, that's been their identity this season. I know they've 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 fallen a little short a couple weeks before this, but uh, I think you've said this before. I think Washington is a better team than the Giants. I think they have a better roster. But I think the Giants just may be a little bit tougher, a little bit more determined. I know this is all, you know, abstract bullshit, but uh, I think that's the way the Giants play. You're going to have to beat the Giants. They're not gonna, they're not going to beat themselves for the most part. Even when Daniel Jones is 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 throwing up on himself, still they're not going to quit. Well, he didn't. So, he didn't throw uh, up on himself. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Not at all. Uh, and, uh, so that, that was my thought. The thought was that, uh, I, I thought that it would be a very close game. I thought that the Giants might win it and, uh, they didn't. So I would think coming away with a tie on the road, uh, when you're playing this team two weeks later, the team that has to play the Eagles this weekend, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's, if, if it's not a win, it's close to a win. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm I'm beating a dead horse here, but because I, I talked about it a lot yesterday, but I want to do it with you. I thought watching the game that Washington was better. I think I'll feel that way in two weeks. Um, but I also felt like you know the tie felt like a tie, and that in some ways they were lucky it was a tie. And I've got some things that I want to go over after kind of watching the game a little bit more yesterday, including some of the all twenty-two. Um, but you know. I think you're right about the Giants. I think that they are a tough team. I think they are a well-coached team. And that, and that you can't say that's been part of the issue here in recent years. They haven't had players, yeah. and they've been poorly coached. Um, I mean, last year, you know, the judge thing was a disaster. Um, Dable's good. We know Wink Martindale is a really good defensive coordinator. I mean, he really can confuse, you know, offenses. And I, I think they're tough. I, you know what? I think their quarterback is tough. I, I really do. Um, and, you know, the combination, and we didn't see Leonard Williams in the fourth quarter, thankfully, but Lawrence and Williams are tough. Um, yes. I, I don't, you know, this idea that the Giants stink, I don't think is, um, I don't think it's a healthy idea uh, because I certainly think they're capable of winning the game in Washington, which, by the way, got flexed to Sunday night. I'm pissed that I didn't think of that as an option. Because I've been sitting here spouting for two weeks, the game's going to get moved to Saturday, and I never considered. Well, they they might just flex it to Sunday night, which is what they did. If you didn't know that, Washington Giants December eighteenth Sunday uh, as the Sunday night game, it got flexed into that spot. It's actually unfair that they did that to Washington because San Francisco's on a mini buy. They played on Thursday. They play on that Thursday against uh, Seattle. So they've got the mini buy, and then Washington's got to go Sunday night out to the West Coast for the following uh, Saturday. Yeah. Remember, those games are on Saturday um, because they're playing them on Christmas Eve uh, this year. Uh, and so um, uh, now, it's, here's the one it's a little bit unfair. Yeah. Here's, 
Here's the one saving grace for that is uh, I think it will cut down on the number of Giants fans that will be in the stands on a Sunday night. Why? That will make because they have to go to work Monday. Mm. Okay. You know, I just think I think you'll. It may not be a big amount cut down, but I think there'll be Giants fans who say, "I'm not. I'm not going down there." Who certainly would have gone down for a Saturday night game. Absolutely made the trip. <clears throat> Sunday night, I think this would be more pro- problematic for normal people. I, I think you're right. I th- that makes sense to me. Saturday night, Saturday or Saturday night would have been much easier, and that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, th- I want to just add to the fact that it's that I think the NFL. You know, I I think they screwed Washington a little bit here. You know, they did. Um, now Washington's coming off a bye week, you know, and they're going to play two games in six days, and the 49ers are going to play two games in eleven days or whatever it is. But the Miami Buffalo game is the game they put in prime time on Saturday night, and I'm sure it was a decision between Miami Buffalo Saturday, Washington New York Sunday. Uh, and maybe it could have flipped. Maybe Miami-Buffalo could have gone to Sunday and Washington-New York could have gone to Saturday. Miami and Buffalo don't play opponents coming off a bye week or or coming off a mini-bye week on Thursday night. And I just think – and they're not traveling to the West Coast in their next game. So I just think it would have been more fair to Washington to have played that game on Saturday night. Instead, they put Buffalo-Miami there. Um, But back to your giant point – they are tough, and they have won games against teams in which they were in similar kinds of games. You know, the Titans in the opener, um, the Packers over in London, the Ravens, you know, they beat. Um, you know, so they've been in these kinds of games, and they've come through more often than not. And, I, I you know, while I think Washington's better, it doesn't mean I'm convinced they're going to win the rematch. Yeah, I mean, they've got to come up with a plan on defense that they haven't come up with for the last two games about stopping a running quarterback. And this is a running quarterback who can throw the ball. What's interesting about. As opposed to Mariota. What's interesting about what you just said, clearly Washington has to come up with a plan to stop Daniel Jones from converting those third downs and making those plays that really kept the Giants in it. Look, he made some throws, too. You know, Cooley pointed this out yesterday. At one point, he was 15 of 16 with the only incompletion being a first half clocking the ball to stop the clock. So, um, but um, to me, what Washington really has to focus on, because they were really close to stopping Daniel Jones, I don't know that they're going to do a lot different. They're just going to try to get him to the ground this time because there were a couple times where he barely escaped. I mean, barely escaped. And and he's good at doing that. He's an excellent runner. I think the big thing for Washington is Ojolari was back for the Giants Sunday, and it made a big difference in their pass rush. And Thibodeau's really a, a problem, too. And the pass protection wasn't good. The quarterback wasn't good, okay, until – and we're going to get to that – um, until, you know, he had to be again, uh, where he delivered again in the clutch. And they've got to shore up that part of it. And they went max protect a lot. Um, but they also had an issue in their defense. They lost their center, so they had a new center in there in overtime. Um, and they had, uh, you know, Cosme out. So the pass protection all season long has been a problem for them. And so on third and long, as they were in that a lot on Sunday, 
You have to avoid that against anybody you're playing, especially teams with a pass rush. And by the way, they're going to face four season-ending games against teams with really good pass rushes. Now, the Giants don't have a great pass rush, but they did Sunday. You know, they sacked Taylor they five blitz. times. They, they blitz a lot, too. Yeah, although the, on some of the plays that they got home on, they got home on non-blitzes. You know, the, 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 the one that Taylor held on to in overtime, still amazed he held on to that ball, was a pass protection uh, you know, error, which, by the way, Sam Fortier alluded to the fact that it was Taylor's fault, that he was supposed to account for the pass rusher and the protection they were in, and he didn't. I don't know if that's true or not. Remember, they had a backup center, and, and they had the guy, Nick Gates, who had come in for Larson, who's done. But um, they've got to figure out a way. Their formula should result in a loss when they're three for 14 on third down with as many long third downs as they had. And the only reason it didn't was there was a turnover early and the defense played pretty well as it has, you know, and it held the giants to 20, you know, and really it held them to 13 because seven of it came after, you know, a a fumble deep in their own territory, which set up a score. Uh, but anyway, I, I want to get to the conversation of Taylor Heineke. I want to get to your column, but I do agree with you. I think the Giants, and I think they're very similar teams. I think they're both tough teams. I think Washington's identity is physical and tough and smart, and I think the Giants want to be that. I don't. I just don't think the Giants have as many good players. They certainly don't have the receiver core. And the playmakers on offense, no. I mean, they're a, a two-player. I mean, Slayton had some plays, but it's really Barkley and Jones and some manufacturing of some plays, which they do well. Dable's really good for Jones, it looks like right now. But, you know, if I'm, the, if I'm a Giant fan, I would want Daniel Jones back. I mean, I'd, I'd just want to I'd, I'd see him, uh, uh, Tommy. I'd want to see Daniel Jones with some weapons, with an offensive line and some weapons and some consistency in coaching. He's had multiple coordinators. First year with Dable, this is a good fit, you know, and give him some 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 talent on offense. They don't have any except for Barkley. Yeah, I agree. You want to get to some Taylor Heineke talk? Let's do it, boys and girls. All right, boys and girls, we'll get to it right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This segment of the show is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC, and they will double your first deposit all the way up to 1000 bucks. So I just pulled up uh, some of their NFL prop bets, and they have um, a prop bet on each team, at least the teams that haven't been eliminated, their odds to make the playoffs. Washington is now favored to make the postseason. They're minus 151 to make the playoffs, plus 123 to not make the playoffs. So if you think they're going to make the playoffs, you'd have to wager 151 to win 100. If you don't think they're going to win the uh, make the playoffs, you have to wager 100 to win 123. Um, but it's I think the first time, I think, this year that they've been a favorite uh, to make the postseason at my bookie. And th- what it tells you, it tells you that the tie actually helped Washington, um, which it did. And we talked about this on the Friday show. I talked about it briefly yesterday, that the game was actually more important to the Giants than it was to Washington, given their schedule the rest of the way and the fact that the rematch is in Washington and not in the Meadowlands. The Giants' odds of making the playoffs – are essentially even money. They are minus 110 to make the playoffs, minus 110 to not make the playoffs. So, um, you know, you have equal odds on betting yes or no uh, as to the Giants making the playoffs. Now, here's what I wanted to share with you on my bookie, because I think I briefly talked about this yesterday with Cooley maybe, maybe not, I don't know. So Minnesota this week, Tommy, my boy, Kirk Cousins, they're playing Detroit in Detroit. Minnesota's 10 and 2. The Lions are 5 and 7. The Lions are favored in the game now by a point wow. and a half. The 5 and 7 team is favored over the team that is 10 and 2. Now, you'd expect that this is going to be a smell test special on Friday. Um, I don't know. Right now, the early info is that the action is actually on Detroit. And I think Detroit is, and I've said this a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, especially after they lost to Buffalo in a close game on Thanksgiving Day. 
I think that you that Washington and the Giants in Seattle in the NFC have to be leery of the Lions making a run right now. They are a 5 and 7 football team and right now it's very possible they'll be favored in every single one of the games they play the rest of the year. They're favored against Minnesota, then they have to play at the Jets. That would be the one game they might not be favored in. Then they're at Carolina, Chicago at home, at Lambeau against the Packers who will be long eliminated at that point. It's I think Detroit has a chance to go 10 and 7 and make the NFC playoffs. And and I, I also think that Washington getting to nine, nine, six, and one it would be now, should be enough to at least be the seven seed. And there's a lot of moving parts here because San Francisco now doesn't have a quarterback, although it is interesting, isn't Mike? Right. As our buddy Neil and Rockville pointed out. So Washington can't get Sam Howell ready, but Kyle Shanahan got their third stringer, Brock Purdy, ready, and he played pretty well in relief the other day. Um, Anyway, uh, he, he, he played because he had to play. But there's a, there, Detroit's back in the mix, especially if they win this weekend at home against Minnesota. And they're favored to do that. And the seven seed is going to be a much better position to be in in the NFC, in my opinion, than the six seed. Because going to Minnesota, I think any seven seed, Washington, Seattle, the Giants, Detroit, I think you've got a chance. They are by far and away the worst defensive team uh, that is in the playoff picture in either conference. They are horrendous defensively. Uh, they gave up three. They gave up nearly 500 yards to the Jets on Sunday. Um, they won the game, but they should have lost that. I had the Jets in the smell test. The smell test went four and two, so that's now nine winning weeks in the last eleven. Um, wow! But I, I, uh, I, 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 the Jets, they were they were first and goal twice in the final few minutes and couldn't score. And so, oh, Sheehan, well, what about their defense? Yeah, their defense got crafty in the red zone. It did, but they gave up nearly 500 yards to the Jets. And the week before, Mac Jones, who couldn't do anything against Buffalo, had 385 yards passing on Thanksgiving night against Minnesota's defense. So the seven seed in the NFC, which Washington has a good chance of getting, and then going to Minnesota, totally winnable game. If you're the six seed, which is a higher seed, and you've got to go to San Francisco – or maybe to Seattle, now that the quarterback situation is up in the air, that could be a bigger issue because San Francisco, I still think they've got a chance to be a good football team the rest of the way. Kyle is so good. He's so good at scheming it up. They've got the best defense. Yeah, but, but in, the playoffs, in the playoffs is when the, the, the quarterback levels really come, come into them. Yeah, but there aren't what's – I mean, you've got, you'll have Cousins and you'll have potentially Brady and you'll have Hurts and Dak, okay? And then yeah. you might have yeah. Taylor Heineke and Brock Purdy. Um. Yeah. Uh, but but I agree with you. The, the quarterback play will be important when you get to those games. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, man, I wouldn't want Taylor Heineke. We'll see what it looks like on Christmas Eve. If he's still the quarterback when you get to the postseason, I wouldn't want to see him against Nick Bosa and that, that 49er defense. It is the well, best Who else would you want to have? The, the other guy? You want to put the other guy back there? They'll take him off the field in pieces. I, I, I don't. Um, I don't. But... Okay. I, I think a lot of people do. So let's let's get to this well, conversation. Well, let, me, 
Yeah. yeah. Well, let me let me let's get to this conversation that you talked about. You know, right now, the fear of that 49ers pass rush against Taylor Heineke. Right. Now, I, I acknowledge that you know more about football than I do. Okay. You invest more time into it. You pay closer attention to it than I do. That's that's an acknowledgement. Don't, don't here. sell yourself short. You know football. Then, then, now, okay. Now that you I said it, up, I didn't go say ahead. I didn't. Okay. I just said I think you know more than I do. Okay, go. Why aren't they running the ball with Taylor Heineke more? What are you talking about? Why aren't they? Don't they have more design plays with Heineke running? Oh, the ball? Wait, oh, why aren't? Why isn't Taylor running the ball more? Yes. Okay. Good question. Yes. Uh, <laughs> good question. Uh, that was condescending, um, but meant to be. Uh, but it really is a good question because it's funny because Scott Jackson was on with me last week on radio. Scott went to Old Dominion. Scott called some Old Dominion games when Taylor Heineke was there. And Scott said this notion that they should be running Taylor Heineke is really not based on any sort of historical Taylor Heineke being a really good running quarterback or designed runner or read option runner. He's always been a good scrambler, but they weren't a read option kind of team when he was in college. And what's very interesting in watching some of the read option plays that they do have in there, he doesn't look comfortable running it. He's not Marcus Mariota or Daniel Jones, which the team has seen the last two weeks. Now, I think the other part of that is that, you know, in staying ahead of the chains when they've been able to do that, um, the throws have been easier throws and quicker throws and play-action throws, which are really the chance for him and for them yeah. to at least at least push the ball down the field to a medium level. Not a long level, but they've got great yards after catch guys. So... You know, the dropbacks on third and long should be your chance to see him scramble and make plays. And I don't have an answer as to why he's not doing that more. Um, He is making, you know, he is extending plays. I mean, obviously the fourth and four from the other day is another magical Taylor Heineke play where he extended and he threw, you know, which he's now done three times this year, twice in the Indy game, once, you know, in, in the game Sunday. He also did it. Uh, against Carolina last year in the fourth quarter of a tie game on a fourth and three that he when he threw it to Bates on one of those wild extended plays. But yes, you're right. Like I would have expected when he came in that he would have had more rushing yards than he's had. Do you know how many rushing yards he has in the seven starts? Six, 67 yards. 67 I yards. Yeah. Yeah. Last he had, year, last he had, year in six, he had 313 yards in 16 games. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I I I looked this up. Now we don't know. I mean, a lot of that is scrambling, but it seems like, and this is what you want in a quarterback, I guess, when he's scrambling back there, he's still looking to throw the ball down the field, which normally that's what you would want. But I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure every time yeah. he's doing that mm-hmm. is maybe the best decision. Well, I think yeah. I think there's better decisions there to maybe take off. Yeah, like I'm looking at the games in which he had big rushing outputs last year. The Green Bay game had a bunch of scrambles. That was his big one, 10 for 95 yards against a good defense and a good pass rush. And, you know, they moved the football. That game was actually more competitive than the final score indicated. Um, 
He had, uh, you know, there really weren't any other games. I mean, he had 40 yards of rushing against New Orleans, 43 against Atlanta. But there really weren't any other big outputs. It was just that, you know, but still, it's at, you know, three, four times the rate that he's rushing for yards this year, three and a half times the rate. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think. So you get my point. I mean, this is progress that he's not taking off. But I'm not sure it serves him well uh, against a good – I mean, because, again, if I'm doing the formula here, my simple math, the more the defense has to worry about the quarterback taking off and running him, the less they're going to tee off on the guy on a pass rush. Here's, here's, here's a better answer to the question. Last year when they played the style of football that they're trying to play now with a – you know without, you know, the defense that they had this year, um, but trying to really – that small margin for error offense. Cooley, Cooley described yeah. it so well. He said, basically, it's like they're a team that has to hit a bunch of singles on the on a drive, and every once in a while, like, Brian Robinson Jr. will turn, you know, the corner at first really hard, and maybe somebody will bungle it in the outfield and you'll get to second, but there's no home run ability. It's a very small margin for error offense. We all can understand that. No matter what you think about Taylor Heineke, it's what it is. And by the way, if Carson Wentz were playing, I would advocate that they do the same thing, that this is the formula that gives them a chance to win some of these games without having a great quarterback and a real ability to be dynamic in your pass offense. Because yeah. I'm not so sure yeah. that Carson you're Wentz li- would you're provide that in your, You're limited in your options. Yeah, so last year during that four-game win streak, Tampa, Carolina, Seattle, and Vegas, when they were running the football and they were dominating time of possession, he barely, you know, he ran the ball a little bit against Carolina, six carries, 29 yards, but three for 15 against Tampa, four rushes for three yards against Seattle, and three rushes for 10 yards against Vegas. And then the final four games, which were ugly because of COVID and everything else, and, you know, we, un- we understand how it all fell apart, but... He definitely, earlier in the season, 10 rushes against Green Bay for 95, 5 for 40 against New Orleans, 5 for 43 against Atlanta, 8 rushes against Buffalo. And I think the, the, the answer would be, if they are on schedule down and distance-wise, you know, like they have been a couple of times during this streak, you know, where they're, they've got third and shorts and they're converting on third downs, which they did not do on Sunday – then I think in these third and longer situations, in these dropback situations, there are more opportunities for him to try to run around and make a play scrambling. But you're right. Even in those situations, he's not doing it. He's, he's not doing it. Yeah. I, I don't know why, you know, um, unless part of it is that the teams that they're playing are playing him with a spy. We've seen that a couple of times. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. And I, yeah. I, I'd like to see him make I more plays think, with I his legs. Think, yeah, his mobility is one of the reasons that he's the better option back there than the other guy. And I don't think he, I don't think he's using it enough. And again, it may be because of his quote progress as a quarterback. Uh, not to think of well, I better take off with the ball, you know, to always think I'm going to find a receiver instead. 
I think it's... I'm I'm, I'm not sure that's serving him well. I think his best throws are play-action throws. They were on Sunday um, when they're running the ball successfully, um, hopefully. Uh, And in third and and makeables, they're just easier plays where he can throw kind of on schedule. And let's also... uh, Well, we're, we're forgetting the big part of this, right? And that is they've got better playmakers who are open more often. With yes. Curtis Samuel yes, on the field. Do. Much better. And and Dotson yes. on the field. So there are more options. But you know, the truth is his legs are better than his arm. I mean, <laughs> I I'm telling you, I went back and watched this game. I I let me let me start with this, because this is the conversation I want to have. I want to have a conversation about Taylor Heineke again. You, you your column basically says there is no other conversation. Right, I mean, it doesn't matter the record, the playoff. Everybody's talking about Taylor, uh, you know, Taylor Heineke. Whether it's my God, we got to do something different, or how about how great he is in the clutch? You know, whatever it is, the talk is about Heineke. Yes, and that's not unusual in every town. If your quarterback is good or your quarterback is bad, most of the focus is on the quarterback. That's not an unusual thing. So people who think. And I pointed this out to you in a tweet the other day, uh, an example of the resentment that I spoke of out there about Taylor Heineke, that he's getting too much attention. But thats he's the quarterback. He's going to get the attention. Yeah, I don't I, – I, again, I kind of disagree with you on your, on your premise on that. But I, I want to move on anyway because – the questions of Ron Rivera yesterday during his Zoom press conference the day after a game. I don't know if you read the transcript. I didn't watch it or hear it. I just read the transcript. A lot about Taylor Heineke and the pass offense and are they considering, you know, Carson. Um, and Sam Fortier, who I think does a really good job for the Post. I think he actually knows ball. And, and he writes this column this morning titled, Ron Rivera wants the commanders to evolve can their quarterback get them there? And, you know, I'll just read briefly from it. Over the past seven weeks, the commanders have established a clear identity and a reliable formula to give themselves a chance to win every game. But Coach Ron Rivera has said he wants his team to evolve. He wants it to ascend from competitive to contender to win games by more than just a score and separate from the NFL's muddle, muddy, muddy excuse me, middle class. But is quarterback Taylor Heineke capable of helping his team evolve? Heineke's done immeasurable good for the commanders. His magic is a primary reason the team was 2-4 and four and now they're 7-5-1 and one and have a legitimate shot at making the playoffs. But after another inconsistent performance Sunday in a 2020 tie against the Giants, it's difficult to imagine the subpar passing game will take a significant step forward under Heineke. It's possible, 40A writes... Rivera will spend the bye week ahead considering whether Heineke is the right quarterback to unlock the next level of the offense and the team. So I know we've kind of had this conversation before. Rivera, by the way, kind of answered the question, and I read the transcript script, so I didn't see the tone, but you know, basically he said, look, Taylor's our guy right now, but it's still week to week. I think that Scott Turner and Ron Rivera – and Ken Zampezi and everybody out there. I think they've been very close at times to saying, okay, we gotta, you know, we gotta really consider Carson. But winning masks all that. 
they're not going to bench him before the Giant game. They're probably not going to bench him before the 49er game because the 49er game, you're going to need mobility at quarterback, I think. Um, and, but here's what I would say and ask you, Tommy. The record shouldn't be the only thing that you consider if becoming the best possible version of yourself, of uh, the best possible team you can be, um, is the goal. Y- you shouldn't just say, well, he's 5-1-1. One, and one. Like, I've got a friend of mine last uh, and I, I mentioned this on radio this morning. He's 5-1-1. One, and one. What are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything. My, I'm not advocating for change. I don't want to change. I'd stick with Heineke for these next two games, definitely. He knows the offense better. He's more mobile. And bottom line, like you've been saying since the jump, and it's true, the team, and specifically the team's leaders, Terry McLaurin, Leno Jr., John Allen, and yes, even Chase Young, they really love Taylor Heineke. I mean, John Allen went on and on about the fourth and four. They would they just expect him to make those kinds of plays. Doesn't matter what happened before. So I am not for a change. But man, they he's teetering right now. It, 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 I don't think he is. Uh, I don't think he is. I think I think it's a stretch and I think Sam made a stretch that Ron Rivera would even consider making that swoosh. You go back and read what Ron Rivera said earlier in the season after he made the move. Here's two quotes from different parts of the season. One thing I've always done is whoever the starter is, I'm going to commit to them fully because I don't want them looking over their shoulder. I want them to understand this is the opportunity. And then here's what he said later. He, meaning Taylor Heineke, doesn't need to play well. He just needs to play. We need to continue to do the things that we're doing. I'm not looking to pull anybody out. I'm not looking to yank anybody. And yet he still says he's not, when he's asked, he's, we're evaluating week to week. Well, that's, that's for Carson. That's, that's to, to placate you know, the, the, the tender feelings of his now his backup quarterback. That's publicly for Carson's consumption. He ain't changing. This is it. There's four games left. Taylor Heineke is it. Um, I agree. As far with... as being the best version that you can be, that's not happening this year. That's uh, going to have to wait till next year. I agree with you that they're not making a change, and I'm not advocating for that change. I disagree with you if you think if you say that's it. I still think there could be a change. And the reason I feel that way is, I mean, and this is where the conversation about Heineke, I think, as far as a sports conversation, not a life conversation, gets kind of complicated because he really isn't very good most of the time. You know, he's at the bottom of almost every statistical category. Um, and you don't even need to see the stats if you watch these games and you watch the the the, the inaccuracies. I mean, Fortier had in his story, um, he's the third most in, in, inaccurate quarterback in the league right now. And by the way, that's that's probably where he ranks highest on most lists. Um, <laughs> you know, he he threw multiple balls on Sunday. I don't know how. 
he continues to get as fortunate as he's gotten. Because he leads the league in turnover-worthy plays, and it's by a mile. Like, nobody's close to him. And when we watch it, we see these cringeworthy throws. I mean, the the two throws after he tied the game, all right, with a brilliant drive, which I will come back to in in a moment. The throw to Terry uh, McLaurin with the the corner, the the practice squad corner, number 38, who was baiting him into this throw uh, on the drive at 20 to 20, still in regulation when they got the ball back and had a chance to actually go down and kick a field goal to win in regulation. I mean, that is a terrible throw. Into double coverage, Terry goes up and makes a great grab, but a better corner picks that thing off, game over. And then the throw he made to Cam Sims on third and 10, backing up, which, by the way, he did a lot of Sunday. We criticized Carson Wentz for backing up and not stepping up. And there was a lot of backing up. There were a lot of chucks off his back foot on Sunday. And that's really when he gets in trouble. When he throws off that back foot, the ball sails. And I remember Mike Shanahan once telling me, there's nothing worse for a quarterback than to throw high. If you're going to miss, you got to miss low. Missing high is death in this league. And it should that's have been... What Gibbs, that's what, it's funny, that's what Gibbs taught, tried to teach all his quarterbacks. If you're going to miss, miss low. Yeah, Shanahan... I mean, where no one else... Where no one else can catch it but your receiver. There, for whatever reason, so much of my conversations with Mike, I just remember so many things that he's said, especially about offense and quarterback play. You can't, you can't be a guy that misses high and play in this league. You just can't. And he misses high all the time. And yes, yes, you know, he does. and it burned him in the Minnesota game. But that's really the only game it's burned him in, and it cost them that game probably. I can't believe how many times the throw to Cam Sims on that final drive that Fabian Moreau is just bearing down on. He throws it back foot under pressure, backing up. It's got no chance. Now, if McLaurin's there, he'd probably save his guy again. But that was so close to being picked, and then the Giants are 10 yards away, one completion away from from field goal range, and the game ends right there. And the reason I'm bringing these things up, I, I think most people who aren't completely blind to what's going on, I think they realize this stuff. But they're also like me. It's like, well, is the is the solution much better? Not based on what we saw earlier this year. It's not. Could it be? Is it possible that it will will be better than it was earlier this year? Yeah, I think it's possible. But the team doesn't want him. They want this guy. But this guy's luck is going. There's going to be a game. It's only like it's probability at this point. He's been so lucky. There's going to be a game here over the final four that's going to make Ron and Scott say, "Well, he didn't get lucky this time." You know, well, that's they'll just move on from that. Two fumbles, you know what? two I picks, hope, and I hope, I hope he has that kind of game. Why? You know, because there's nothing more important to me than to be right. You know, I've gotten so used to it. I like the feeling. Okay, what are you talking so about here? I hope, I hope that they bench him and bring in the other guy. I'm rooting for that. Why? Let's go ahead and what, do that. What, what would you be right about? Did you call three? Did you call for multiple, it, more than two quarterbacks this year? More because than two it would be a such a disaster in the making. Oh, it oh, would I, just it okay. would it would literally 
it would destroy the team? Ron Rivera's coaching tenure. <laughs> okay, right. Um, it would. I, I think that. Uh, I think. Look, maybe he'll just keep getting lucky. May, but but here's what I wanted to say. So I, I think I think we're gonna have one of those games. Look, you kind of had it in the Minnesota game. They had that game under control. He threw a terrible pick. He sailed one. Harrison Smith picked it off, and they lost the game. You know, um, but here's something, and somebody sent this to me. Galdi tweeted this out, and I talked a little bit about this without the actual um, uh, super granular detail numbers here. Taylor Heineke in the final four minutes of fourth of fourth quarters this year is 17 of 22 for 223 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, and has a rushing TD. He has two fourth-quarter comebacks in 2022, five since the start of 2021. We're all aware of his flaws, but he's been clutch. And I pointed out last year, the giant game after he threw the pick to Bradbury, bounced right back. The... Um, uh, the Raiders game, the Buccaneers game. He had three third-down conversions in that final drive when they were up four and needed to keep the ball away from Brady. Um, and then the Carolina game was tied, and they had a fourth and three, and he, he did one of those miraculous Taylor Heineke run-around plays, sidearm chucks to, to Bates, who caught it for a first down. He is clutch. Like, this is what makes it hard. Because nothing I've watched from Carson Wentz at any point would suggest to me that he's clutch. In fact, let me bring this up. If he were clutch, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now because he'd already be back in the lineup if he's healthy. Because if you go back to that Tennessee game, Tommy, he had the best game of of the season in that game until the end. He, he threw for 369, he threw uh, 359 or whatever it was. He threw two bombs to Deami Brown for touchdowns. And Tennessee, who's a good team, they were in front of and they had a chance to beat. And it came down to two yards away and he threw an interception. If he was clutch and he had delivered on a drive, by the way, I went back and looked this up last night, that final drive was 18 plays, 87 yards, with him completing balls all over the field, you know, to get down to the two-yard line. And then he threw the interception. If he had stuck that in there and they had won the game 24-21, we would not be having this conversation about him. The feeling about him would be much different. They would have been 3-3 three and three after that Chicago game when he broke his finger, and he would have had a really good game and a clutch moment against Tennessee. Probably. But, but he didn't. No, he didn't. He threw the pick. And that's kind yeah. of the point here. In watching that game on Sunday with my middle son, I told him when they got the ball back at the, at the 10-yard line, 90 yards away, this dude's going to go down and score. And I, I I can't explain it, but he's he's clutch. He's a competitor. He's got a short memory. He's also not very good. I mean, all you know, of those, did, all I, those things are true. I did the same thing. I'm watching the game on Sunday at my cigar spot in Frederick, uh, quartermasters. And uh, when he got the ball on that drive, I turned to the guys and I said. If this was a press baseball press box, I'd pick up the phone because I'm making a call here. When you pick up the phone, when they used to have phones in a press box, 
and you pick up the phone, that means you were calling a home run. Okay? I was making a call, same like you, on that drive. Yeah. Same thing. I felt the same way. But I, I just, I'm not a person that can just sit there and say, okay, they're 5 1 and 1. Uh, it can't get any better than this. And he's been mostly responsible for it because he hasn't been. Now, he saved, no. he saved him in the Indy game. He saved him at the end of the Green Bay game. He saved him uh, Sunday and, and, got the, and helped, helped him get a tie. But could this offense be better? Of course it could be with a better quarterback. But I'm not making the move because I don't think the team wants it, and I don't see the solution on the roster as much better. I just don't. Yeah. I mean, I could be. I, I agree. I, I could be wrong about that because Carson can throw the football, you know. Um, but uh, I kind of like the way they're playing now. I don't know that it's you know big upside in the postseason, but I think it's the way with what they have on their roster right now that they have to play that gives them a chance. And he's just as good you know, at playing this way as Wentz would be. I think. I think. In my column, I mean, this is the point of my column in the sense that. Uh, you know, there's some people who criticize it on Twitter saying, you know, it's, you know, the strength of this team is its defensive line and its running game. And I point out, I didn't say he's the strength of the team. I said he's the face of this comeback. You know? Yeah, he's the guy that they're going to be taught. Yeah. Before, before the game, two weeks from now, most of the pregame shows are going to be talking about Taylor Heineke yep. when they're talking about Washington. Yeah. And right show, or wrong, that's the way it's going to be. be. Sh- and they'll be showing that fourth and four play until you know the giant fans are vomiting in their mouth because <laughs> it was a it was another one of those Taylor magic moments. I mean, yeah, that play that play was dead. It seemed like. <laughs> I mean, I just it's amazing. But he, it's kind of it's. By the way, it fits with his style of play too. Like he's a, a backyard kind of a quarterback. You know, run around, try to make something happen. But, my God, did he get lucky on Sunday on a couple of those throws. Uh, I mean, the throw right – two plays before that, he threw it right to number 44 on defense. I mean, it could have easily been a pick game over right there. When I say game over, they would have had to make – well, it would have been 20-13 to there. But I thought he made some good throws, too, on that final drive. I think the best throw in watching the game back that he made was the throw to Curtis Samuel on that first drive, uh, on, that, on that final drive. That was the play before the touchdown pass to Dotson. That's where, you know, when he, when it's, I mean, first of all, the, 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 the play design, Scott Turner's got some good play designs. I don't care what any of you guys say. I think that he knows what he's doing. Um, but whatever, um, I he, that ball is out before Curtis Samuel gets even into his break, and it's a perfect timing, decisive, perfect throw, and it's a big, ch- you know, it's a chunk play for them, which you know aren't the chunk plays you see around the league. But that's a play that you know set up the next play. Um, uh, you know, I think that play was for twenty something yards, maybe twenty yards. Um, he can make that sometimes. He can. Uh, and then he has. He, he has. He has made them. Yeah. Yes. But this, but but this guy was eighteen of twenty-eight for one hundred and sixty-five yards before that last drive. Oh, the other thing, Sam forty-eight points out is just tempo. Cooley po- pointed this out yesterday as well that he's been much more successful up tempo, um, and that's really where, where he's been the most most successful by far. 
Um, yeah. And so they should be running that more. But they're a ball control uh, team. They're a possession team. And if you start doing that and it doesn't work because the defenses are different because it's not the final two minutes, you know, then it doesn't play into kind of the whole complementary football thing of possessing the ball, keeping your defense fresh, you know, especially since your two best players on the team on defense, Payne and Allen, play so many of the snaps. I mean, it's amazing. I think Payne played 90% of the snaps and Allen played 98% of the snaps on Sunday. You just don't yeah, see that out. a lot I think he NFL. came out for one or two plays because he was shook up a little bit. Yeah. And, and that was it. Your, your, your interior defensive tackles typically don't play that many snaps. And... um you know, so it makes the possession of time on offense, you know, even more important. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I think I'm, you know, I'm certainly not a fan of him being a starting quarterback other than for right now. Because I think in the yeah, moment. and that's, we should, that's a reasonable position. Yeah, I just, I, I, I would ride this for the, the Giant game and the 49er game. I think the putting, like if he had, if, if the, you know, if the, the if the good fortune blessed life that he's been living as a quarterback comes to an end, if the charmed life ends against the Giants, I still don't think it should be Carson against the 49ers. I think that's the the wrong team to put him back into the game against. Um I would still have Taylor on Christmas Eve out there. But we can worry about that after the Giant game because he might have another yeah. really good game. Uh, another charmed life game, and they win it, and now he's six one and one as a starter, and they've pretty much now locked up or coming or they're they're on the verge of locking up a playoff spot. What a Christmas it would be if they clinched a playoff spot on Christmas Eve against the 49ers. <laughs> I wonder if they can do that. Um, they might actually be in position if the Giants were to lose this week and Seattle were to lose, they play the Panthers though. And then Washington. Yeah, the Giants play the Eagles. Yeah, and the Giants yeah. play the Eagles. And then the Washington beats the Giants, and then Seattle loses to San Francisco in their next game. Could they clinch? They'd have eight wins at that point. Probably not. By the way, oh, you, you love to talk about how you know you're right all the time. You want to be right uh, and talk about how you're right all the time. This dude Teflon sent me this um, on Twitter. Surprised you didn't talk about how close you were on the game score, on your season record, which is now in play, and the fact that you said the kickers would play a big role in the game on Sunday. Yeah, Tommy, you didn't know this. I predicted 23-20 Washington, so that was in play on Sunday. That was good. Also, my preseason prediction of 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one is now alive and well. Um, of course, I would have really impressed all of you if I'd predicted a 2020 tie on Sunday. And before the season, I said the tie was going to be against the Giants. Um, my tie prediction was against the Bears. Uh, but I did say, in terms of my um, keys to the game, I said the kickers, because these teams, you know, don't really finish a lot, are going to be are going to be big, and they're probably going to be big from distance because they're going to they're going to be a couple of 50 plus yard field goals attempted, and the guy that makes it you know, is probably going to win win it first team. And, of course, not one of them made their 50-plus-yard no. field goals, which is why we ended up with a draw. 
um, with no stoppage time, no penalty kicks, just a draw. Good call, Karnak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it wasn't because I didn't get it right on the 23-20. to 20. Oh, it's pretty But I could, I could be right on the 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. Yeah. I could be. And 8-8-1, eight, eight, and one, could it do it? I don't know. I think they got to get to nine. I think they need two more wins. You know, beat the Giants at home on Sunday night football and then beat the 49ers with Brock Purdy at quarterback. And then, you know, you're 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 good. Nine, six, and one, seven seed, go to Minnesota. That's a team they could beat. I think they could beat Tampa too, but they can't get to that number. Um all right, uh, I've got something else for you. Do, uh, do you have a, a few things? Because I did want to ask you about the Trey Turner deal and the Nats. I also have uh, a tweet that I want to read from one of the area teams that I found interesting. We'll get to that and a little bit more to finish up the show right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Tommy, tell me about Shelly's Backroom, one of our favorite sponsors. Okay, well, okay, we're going to have to start this again. Okay, I didn't know we were on, starting with hold that. On, hold on, sorry. <clears throat> Three, two, one. All right, a few more things to finish up the show, but before we get to them, Tommy, Shelly's Backroom is the best cigar bar and restaurant and hangout in town, isn't it? Uh, look, here's all you got to do. Uh, we we can tell you about it, but we're going to prove it to you, and you can do that by going online to Shelly'sBackroom.com. And look at the pictures of the inside of Shelly's Backroom. And think about where you're sitting right now, okay, while you're listening to this podcast. And where would you rather be? Would you rather be in this beautiful, uh, you know, wood-paneled, uh, Deep, plush chairs, environment. They look comfortable. Sitting there. I mean, they don't, it's, this place looks so inviting in the photos on the website. Uh, wherever you are, okay, it's not as good as this looks right here. So just do me a favor and do that. And while you're online, check out the daily specials that they have. I've told you about Shelly's Food. Their menu is excellent. Uh, it's a great restaurant, cigar bar or not. And today's Shelly special, this Tuesday, December sixth. <laughs> I'm reading it. Is a chili, yeah, chili double cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, yep. That sounds good. Yep. Uh, here's the yep. here are their specials today: 
chili double cheeseburger, cucumber turkey sandwich, blackened chicken Caesar salad. Which of those three do you think Tommy would choose? (laughs) Uh, the same one i would by the way and then their dessert chocolate cake and key lime pie my favorite oh man oh those chairs look so comfortable and they are comfortable i've sat in them before Yes, they are yes they are they're very comfortable and there's a good chance the person sitting next to you who's who you never met before you'll wind up having a great conversation with Because it's that kind of place. And, Tommy, you know, tomorrow night, if you are lucky enough to get a ticket to the Georgetown-Siena game, maybe afterwards you can go down and hang out at Shelley's. Because, you know, that Georgetown-Siena game is a big game tomorrow night. Did you see what Georgetown basketball is offering for that game tomorrow night? Yes, I did. If if you're a (laughs) D.C. resident, you're in for free, baby. Here's the tweet from Georgetown basketball. All D.C. residents can attend the Georgetown Hoops game this Wednesday for free. Just show your ID at the box office. This is their game tomorrow night against Siena. 6.30 tip. I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. I don't. Maryland actually discounted tickets the other night at the last minute to try to get a sold-out crowd for the Illinois game. But um, I don't think I've ever seen a major sports program offer free admission. Well, you know, uh, I mean, it, it really, obviously, it's, it's illustrate, illustrate, it illustrates how far the program has fallen. But one thing, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've always wondered, like, when sports teams clearly are struggling and uh, not you know, filling their arena or their stadium. Uh, occasionally, wouldn't they just be better off opening the doors? Yes. Say, come on in. Sure. You know, fill up the seats, get people to spend money on concessions. I'm surprised more teams that are struggling don't do this. I know it's a, it's an admission that you're struggling, and nobody likes to do that. But everybody knows if you're having good times or not. It's no, it's no secret that Georgetown basketball has fallen on hard times uh, no, so yeah uh, you, th- you think, think they're giving away you think they're giving they're away doing? concessions for free do you think you might uh, if they can <laughs> throw in a hot dog and a coke i'm in <laughs> um no you're right you're right i mean especially yeah. for college sports like i always think that um when they don't have a sold out crowd at Maryland that, you know, this, there's a certain number of student allotted tickets. I think they should just open it up first come first serve for the students that didn't get the tickets to fill in the rest of the seats. It makes it a better yeah. environment anyway. And they'll, you know, absolutely. So, um, and if you believe in your product at all, once you get people in the room, you hope that you can sell it. Now, that may not happen with Georgetown basketball, but that's certainly the premise. You know, if if your product is good enough, you want to get people in the room, and once they're there, they'll see for themselves. Here's what I can promise you about Shelley's free admission. You do not, there's, (laughs) you can get in for free. Um, You know, know who used to go to Shelley's all the time? Othello Harrington. Oh, really? Big, yeah. Big time Shelley's guy. Hey, um, in all seriousness, though, what's what is Georgetown going to do? Seriously, what are they going to do, Tommy? 
That program is, is, I mean, I, I hate to say it's dead, but it, uh, they gave Patrick that extension after winning that Big East championship, you know, a few years ago, the Big East tournament. It's ter- well, they're, they have, they're terrible. See, they still have a very powerful and rich alumni base uh-huh. uh, that I, I don't think is going go- it's, it's, it's to stand for this. Uh, and I think there's going to be a break from the uh, Thompson Ewing uh, family tradition line. Yeah, uh, they've got to do something dramatic. You know, um, it's just sort of a, a segue, I guess, for me because tonight Maryland plays Wisconsin. Terps are ranked 13th in the latest AP and coaches poll, eight and zero now after that win uh, on Friday night against Illinois. Um, but listening to a lot of people on Twitter here recently, you would you would think that the Maryland program is is has been revived because it, it's been dead um, for the last ten years. It, it it actually kind of pisses me off. But they play Wisconsin tonight. Feels like a trap game. One and a half point underdogs, um, and uh, off the emotion of Friday night, Wisconsin just beat Marquette. Marquette blew out Baylor. So Wisconsin's good. They're always good at home. Uh, by the way, t- Tommy, the Terps, the schedule is, I mean, it's fun. I mean, they're 8-0 and ranked 13th. They played Illinois Friday night. They did not get the best matchup in the last Big Ten ACC thing because Louisville is terrible. Talk about a program that really does stink. Uh, Louisville stinks yeah. right now. But the Terps play um, at Barclays in Brooklyn on Sunday afternoon against 7th-ranked Tennessee. That'll be a big-time weekend college basketball matchup. Then they get um, UCLA a week from Wednesday at home. So a really good schedule. I am really excited about Maryland basketball. You know how important you know they are to me and my three boys, too, who love you know, Terps Hoops. And Kevin Willard's a great guy, by the way. Um, you're going to love him. He's got a great sense of humor. Uh, you know, an East Coast guy. Um, he's doing a great job with this group, which is a group that, you know, for the most part, uh, uh, you know, is much better than I thought it was going to be. I think for most people, well, you know, they feel that same way. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I tell you what, it's good to see Maryland basketball back after years of being really down. <laughs> yeah, okay. Really, yeah. really like a forgotten you know, program, uh, you know, and uh, just struggling to win games. You know, you're, you're saying that because you know that um, I have since, you know, uh, Willard's start is phenomenal. I'm so into this team. I wish a lot of you out there that are Terp fans could just focus on the present and not, you know, make up shit about the past because some of you truly – are limited uh, in your ability to sort of express anything resembling uh, fact. I mean, I, I my my Twitter the last couple of Maryland games, I, I actually it's not just Twitter. I ran into this dude um, on Saturday or Sunday, and I, I was out, and and some guy just stopped me and said, "Hey, man, Terps, your Terps look really good." And by the way, that building hasn't been that packed since Gary was there. And I, I wanted to say, are you serious? You think that the building hasn't been packed since Gary was there? But but I've gotten tweets that essentially have said the same thing. I did not, by the way. I just said, yeah, they, they look really good. Um, I didn't feel like you know um, a confrontation in Safeway. Um, 
But <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I, I like the other night was really it was one of those, and you've been there. It was one of those raucous nights at Xfinity. It's yeah. f- it was far from the best best crowd or most raucous crowd, you know, I've ever seen. Like if there was a scale of Maryland basketball crowds at Xfinity Center, you know, uh, 10 being the highest and 10 being kind of like the Duke games and the Carolina games. The Duke game specifically in 2010 with Vasquez and Hayes and Milbourne and Jordan Williams, that team was playing for an ACC regular season championship against Duke. That is the, the best crowd that that building has ever seen. The Michigan State game, though, from a couple of years ago in 2020 when the Terps were ranked in the top 10 and Michigan State was ranked high and the Terps had just gone to East Lansing and won. Um, that was an unbelievable environment uh, with ESPN's game day there all day long. Wisconsin in, in 2016, I think we, they were both top five teams in that matchup. The Georgetown game that they played was unbelievable. But Friday night was like... Um, I mean, for us, for those of us that have been in that building as many times, uh, you know, for the big games, it was like a, a seven or an eight on on the scale of of ten being like the Duke crowds or the Michigan State crowd. Um, I think it'll have a chance to be great this year. They play UCLA, as I mentioned. They play uh, Hunter Dickinson in Michigan are, are going to make their first visit since that you know heated uh, Big Ten tournament game from a couple of years. They've got Indiana and Purdue at home. Purdue's ranked fourth in the country, so there could be you know some tens to come. But God, man, I'm telling you, Tommy, some of these people, it's like uh, what I say about other things. Sometimes just the truth will do. I mean. Turgeon did not win enough in March. They got to one sweet 16. That's the mic drop. Done. Okay? That's true. And that's why the program felt a little stale. And for those that felt it was a time for change, I understood that sentiment, and I still do. Okay? One sweet 16 in 10 years. Mic drop moment. You don't have to make up the the other shit that you've been making up. I love our fan base. It's passionate. Um, but, man, some of them are just dumb. I mean, the the whole idea that we've sucked for the last 10 years is absurd. I, I've gotten so many tweets from people. Oh, Maryland's 8-0 start. Best start that they've ever had since Gary. You know, best crowd they've ever had. They finally beat a ranked team. I mean, what are you talking about? Turge won 22 games against ranked teams. 22. I mean, I know it didn't seem that way because he lost more against ranked teams than he beat, which is true, by the way, for almost any team in the country. You usually don't win more games against ranked teams uh, than you lose unless you're really like a blue blood. Um, but it's like, you know, and also Tommy, um, I, I, I looked this up the other day and I was about to respond on Twitter with it. Cause some guy just said, finally, you know, the, the building was great. You know, first of all, Turgeon won more big 10 games during his time in the big 10, which by the way, was not an easy thing to navigate than every single coach with the exception of Tom Izzo hall of famer and Matt painter. Who's one of my favorite co- coaches in the country, third winningest coach during his time in the Big Ten. Maryland was ranked, okay, in the top 20 in six of his eight seasons in the Big Ten. Three times they were in the top 10, twice in the top five. I I don't know what people are talking about. 
He's sold out Xfinity Center plenty of times. I looked this up, too, by the way. Uh, His last five years in the Big Ten, they were in the top 15 in the country in basketball attendance four out of those last five years. They were fifth in the nation in 2016, seventh in 2017, and they dropped a little, uh, you know, just barely outside the top 15 in 2018 and 2019, and they were 13th in the country in attendance in 2020. Now, I do know this. Gary had them consistently in the top five in the country in attendance. I mean, I don't, I don't, do you think pe- people know that about Maryland basketball, that it's consistently a top 20 basketball attendance, top 15 with Gary, it was top five consistently? I don't know if they know that. But, I, don't think, I don't think most people know that. No. Yeah, I mean, the notion that the fans are back, like as if to say the other night was the best crowd they've had in years, no, it's just not true. I mean, again, he didn't do enough in March. We get it. I agree. I agree. It felt a little stale. His best team, the 2020 team, with you know a senior point guard in Anthony Cowan who was outstanding and clutch, a big-time guy in Stick Smith who was blowing up, Aaron Wiggins, Daryl Morsell, who was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, or was that in 2021? Whatever. He's one of the best defensive players in the country. I mean, they had a team, a team that I think had a chance to go really deep they, it was an incredible season. You know, they they won road games. You know, in top ten, top fifteen matchups against Illinois and Michigan State and Indiana. Um, but I don't know what some of you are talking about. I mean, the program was pretty good. Was it as good as it was with Gary? No, that's true. Um, what isn't true is that the program's been dormant for ten years. Mark took the team to the tournament six out of the last seven years, if you count the pandemic cancellation. And by the way, they would have been a top three seed or, or top twelve overall seed in that uh, in that uh, tournament. I just don't get the fake news on him. I don't get where all of this stems from. You know, leaving in the uh, early portion of last season, I understand why people can be a little bit, you know, p- pissed off at that. You know, and not finishing the season. I, I get it. But really, the only thing you can say is he didn't win enough in March. That's true. The rest of it, the, you know, the style of play. Some of you didn't like it, but he won a shitload with it. I didn't love the style. I actually said something to him a couple of times with Scott. I told you that story. We were playing golf, and Scott on on one of the tee boxes said, Hey, Mark, Kevin's got something he wants to discuss with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, it, and I, I said, What are you doing to me? And Mark's like, What? And I said, I don't know. I just think you've got too much talent to have, like, I think at the time it was like they were 250th in the NCAA in possessions per game. I'm like, I think your pace of play should be higher. And I remember what he said specifically. He said, okay, that's fine, but do you know what our efficiency is per possession? We're number seven in the country in efficiency. It's the way he preferred to coach. And by the way, it was the way a lot of the Big Ten teams played. You know, it was a grinding kind of style. Now, Michigan State doesn't play that way, and Iowa doesn't, and Illinois doesn't, and Maryland doesn't this year. But I don't know. This this whole, you know, we're back. We've, we haven't had a crowd like that. We haven't beaten a ranked team. We haven't been ranked. I mean, what, what are you people talking about? You know, the other thing is, like, somebody on Twitter said he never developed any players, and he was also a shitty recruiter. Okay, well, which is it? Because if he's a shitty, if he was a shitty recruiter, then how the hell did he win all of those games and have players like, 
you know, Cowan and Fernando and Sticks and Herter and Wiggins and Lehman all make it to the NBA, not to mention a list of plenty others that are playing professionally overseas. Like, it's one or the other. He's either a great developer of players or he just had a lot of talent. The truth is he wasn't a bad recruiter at all, and he was also a very good developer of talent. I mean, you know, you only have to look at a guy like Bruno Fernando or Anthony Cowan or Sticks. Wiggins to see what they were when they came in and what they were when he left. I, I know Mello, you know, kind of regressed and Diamond Stone. I mean, that that was a disaster in its own right, you know. Yeah, that um, was. But again, like he didn't win enough in March. He didn't. You know, he didn't win enough in March for you guys. He didn't win enough in March for me. And while we were playing in March, March Madness consistently. I know that at Maryland, and I feel the same way, that getting there isn't enough. I understand that. Um, but the rest of your nonsense is just, you know, ignorance from several of you. Other than that, by the way, I love Kevin Willard. Can't wait for the game tonight. And I'm enjoying the present, Tommy, without agreeing with some of these people who are just making up shit about the past. Um, go Terps tonight against Wisconsin. Hey, you told me that you have some sort of um, operation that you have to get. What is it? Yes. Yes. Uh, tomorrow morning, very early in the morning, I'll be going to Mercy Hospital in Baltimore to have this surgery I've had a couple of times in the past. It's a, it's a child's surgery in a way. But usually children have this done. I have tubes put in my ears. Oh, your ear thing. I remember that. Yeah, you did. You yeah, had. You, I, 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 I remember I you got fluid that. that 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 does not come out of my ears. It just just doesn't escape. Uh, I have specially uh, formed earplugs that I wear when I What'd go you swimming say? or what'd you or, say? Uh, yeah, there you <laughs> go. So so my hearing is even worse than it would normally be <laughs> yeah. due to age. Yeah. So uh, they go in there, they put me to sleep, and they stick these little. Tiny little plastic tubes in my ears. Will it help? And they, the, the, the problem. The problem is they're not permanent. They dissolve ah, after a couple of got years. Got it. Will it help your selective and, listening? No, no, <laughs> okay. it won't help my selective listening okay. at all. You know, that's a talent. That's not a handicap. <laughs> that is a gift. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you really, I mean, there are a few things that you really are good at, and that is one of them, selective listening. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. All right. What else do you have for me today? That's all I got for you, boss. All right. Um, okay. That's all I got, I think. Uh, I'll, t- I'll talk to you Thursday, and I'll hear every word you say, unfortunately. Oh, you, unfortunately, absolutely. You know what? Without me having to yell at you. Or wake you up occasionally. (laughs) All right, we're done for the day. Uh, I will be back tomorrow, I think, with Chris on uh, some film breakdown, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Have a great day. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.